Uh, good morning once again. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn back to 1 John. Uh, this week we'll be in chapter 4. Uh, if you're a guest with us uh, over the past year, year and a half, we've uh, been studying through the book of Acts and taking summers off and holidays off. And so uh, we will jump back into Acts uh, chapter 11, starting the 22nd, but for the first couple weeks uh, of the year, uh, we're just kind of re uh, mentioning, reinforcing kind of our core values as a church. So if you're a guest with us, it's a great time to be here. We're kind of kind of talking through who we are as a church and what we hold uh, most valuable. Uh, uh, it'll come up on the screen. This is kind of our uh, core value as a church, our, our mission. The next slide, please. Uh, the uh, This is who we are as Crosspoint. We exist for God's glory. So we believe that our intent, our purpose for being here on this earth, individuals and as a church, is for God's glory. Uh, and we, the way that we think as a church, uh, together we can bring God glory is by committing ourselves to three core values. Uh, first core value is that we commit ourselves to God's truth. Uh, we talked about that last week, so if you're interested in that, you can go back to the sermon on our website. Uh, it's on Spotify or uh, wherever you find podcasts, it's probably there. Uh, if you're a video person, it's on YouTube. Uh, but you can check out how we believe that God's truth is at the center of everything that we do. It forms our, uh, our views, it forms our principles and our practices. It is the center of everything that we do. Uh, we teach specifically from the Bible, verse by verse. We don't do many topical studies. Uh, we just kind of walk through Scripture verse by verse, and we are committed to that as a church and individually. The second thing is that we commit ourselves to God's people. Uh, and so we believe that as, as followers of Jesus, we bring God glory when we're committed to a local body. Uh, that we are not meant to live this life on our own. There's no such thing as a 007 Christian, uh, just kind of secret service Christian that nobody knows who they are. We are, we are called to be committed to God's people. And that's what we're going to talk about uh, this morning, how we, were, we are committed to God's people. Thirdly, we commit ourselves to God's mission. Uh, so next week, we will talk about that. And then the week following, we'll jump back into Acts. But in 1 John chapter 4, is where we will be uh, this morning. And before we read that, I will kind of want to bring us back up to speed of uh, why John is writing this letter. Uh, there was some heresy that began to creep into the church uh, that uh, really the beginnings of Gnosticism, of a secret knowledge, if you will, uh, that only a few could really get, get to that knowledge, if you will, or, or develop that knowledge. And so if you did, then you kind of, there was a seclusion from people, like you were the holier, truly holier than thou's, and therefore there was no love in uh, your life. You didn't love the people because you were elevated, if you will. And so there was one sense, this heresy of a secret knowledge that was dividing the body. Uh, so it was puffing some up, uh, but then on the other side, it was crushing those who didn't have that knowledge. So all of us probably would be in that side, right? And, and so we would be crushed in despair because we're not smart enough to get to this secret knowledge. I know for me, I would be down here and some of you may be. Uh, anyway, uh, and so that's kind of where uh, the, the, that was what was going on. And so these people who claim to know Jesus or the secret knowledge, they had zero desire for living for God. Uh, they had zero desire for loving their brother or their sister. Uh, and their, their thought process, their beliefs were all whack. And so John writes a letter to do two things. Uh, first is to kind of address some of that. 
uh, to inform the church what was going on. But we find his main theme in chapter 5, verse 13, where it says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. And here it is, that you may know that you have eternal life. And so the intent in John writing this letter to this group of believers is to address some of the heresy, but upon reading it, those who truly believed in the name of Jesus, that they would have assurance that they're wrong, we're right, that they're wrong, we actually do have eternal life. It's not the secret knowledge that's unattainable for some, it is knowledge in the Son of God that saves people alone. And so John's writing that so they would read this and be encouraged. And through the book or through the letter, if you read it, there's a series of tests and it kind of goes in cycles uh, that John writes through. First, he talks about a right knowledge or a right belief. And then he'll go into right uh, obedience or right morality, if you will, of living in a certain way, walking in the light. And then the third test uh, is is of love. And so he kind of cycles through that through the book. So when we pick up in chapter four, this will be the third time he's talked about love, loving the brothers or the sisters, loving the beloved is the term he uses, uh, is really a, an assurance that you are a follower of Jesus. That if you're truly a follower of Christ, there will be a genuine love for the body. Everybody with me? All right, so we jump into four, uh, verse seven. I'll read through verse 21. And I want to make six points. They're going to be, I'm, the first three I'm going to spend time on, the last three I'm just going to kind of go through. So don't, don't think it like, oh my gosh, six point sermon. Uh, but I want to read the passage and I'll make some points to, to but anyway, verse seven says this, beloved, uh, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that, he got, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. Amen to that, right? And he sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Yours may I say atonement for there, but verse 11, Beloved, if God, is, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God in If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God. God abides in him. By this, uh, by this is love perfected with us, so that we have, no, we have confidence for the day of judgment. Because, he, um, because as he is also, we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, but whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For who does not love his brother, whom he has, who, who he, sorry, whom he uh, has seen, cannot love God, whom, whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him: whoever loves God must also love his brother. Pray with me, Father. We love you, and we pray now that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to believe uh, your word this morning. May your Holy Spirit be with us, teach us, and may we. Uh, fall more in love with your word as it speaks to us this morning and give us faith to obey that which you reveal to us. It's in Christ's name we pray. 
Amen. Now, in this passage, I want to point out six reasons I think that John gives for us to love one another. Uh, and, and how does that fit to commit to God's people? Uh, and I hope to explain, maybe make all this make sense in a little while. But six reasons. First of all, number one, if you're taking most, six reasons why we should love one another is that love is the essence of God. We see that in verses 7 and 8. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for this love is from God. Whoever loves has, has been born of God and knows God. And who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Why should we love? Because it is the essence of who God is. And as Christians, we claim and we partake in, we have attached ourselves to this God. And if God is love, then we should love one another. And the question begins to ask, because he says here, let us love one another. So anyone who's, anyone who's been born of God loves, and whoever has not been born of God does not love. And so what kind of love is he specifically talking about here? Because I see people who don't know Jesus that love, right? Anybody with me? Like we all in some capacity have a capacity within ourselves to love. Uh, and in the Greek, there were, there were three words for love. There's eros, which is where we get the word erotic. Uh, the best way to define that one would be uh, some people say it is all take. And so when you think about uh, that form of love, it is an all-take type of love. Then there's the phileo, where like Philadelphia, city of brotherly love, it's the word for brotherly love. And the, uh, 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 a dumb man's way to define that would be it's give and take. So uh, eros is all-take, all uh, phileo is give and take. And then there's the type of love which he's talking about here, where it's the agape, which is the self-sacrificing, the, the divine type of love that we see in Christ on the cross, and it is all give. And so uh, he's saying, he's saying, let us love one another. And so is every type of love that we see, or is every type of love manifested the type of love that John is talking about? Because it, there's a such thing, it's called general grace, right? Every human being, whether they name the name of Jesus or not, we're all created in the image of God. Therefore, within us, we have the capacity to love at some degree. Why? Because the Trinity, we see it in the Trinity, this loving relationship with God, the Father, God, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, us being created in his image, we now have the capacity in some sense, even as fallen man, to experience love. We all have innate inside of us uh, eternity written in our hearts. And we saw it this week with, uh, uh, with DeMar Hamlin, Right? Uh, when DeMar Hamill's NFL football player this past week on Monday night who made a tackle, hit his chest, he, he, he stood back up, then he collapsed, went into sudden cardiac arrest or whatever happened there. At that moment, it doesn't matter if anybody named the name of Jesus before, at that moment they were praying. Why? Because inside of them is wired that when things go crazy, I'm praying. I'm directed heavenly, I'm directed up, where we see it this past week that all of us are created in the image of God because immediately the first response was, we got to pray for this guy. If that didn't happen, there's no desire. Why? Because it's wired within us. And so what wired within us is the capacity to love in some sense as well because we're created in the image of God. So the question I'm asking is, is every type of love the type of love that John is talking about? We have to remember who he's writing to. Look back at verse 7, the first word. Who's he writing to? The beloved. Which literally means uh, it's agape teo. So the, the, the root word is agape, that sacrificial love. Teo would be the loved ones. 
the ones who've been divinely loved, and I thought about addressing y'all this morning, good morning, divinely loved ones, because that's who he's writing here, is the, the, the beloved. He is writing to the beloved here. So John is speaking to specifically people who have experienced that agape love, that, that self-sacrificial love, those who have believed in the name of Jesus, who have who've experienced the gospel. So he's not writing just to just people, all people in the idea of like general love. It is those who have experienced the divine love, the agape love in the person of Christ, who have placed their trust in him. So he's specifically talking about people together who together have experienced that love. Everybody with me? Remember the issue that's going on. There's people who are saying that they were a part of the church, yet they had no love for the, for the people who were, who were around them. And so now what he's writing is, listen to me, for those who have truly been born again, who've all experienced this agape type of love, listen to me, if you say you've experienced that, but you don't love your brother, you have not experienced that. That's what he's right. That's where he's de, he's defining what love is here. It's not just this phileo give and take. It is this love that we experience through the cross of Christ. And so it's very simple what he says. He, so he's writing to those who believe in who? And what we see in verse 13 of chapter 5, believe in the name of the Son of God. He's specifically writing, speaking of the love that is special only within the beloved, the divine loved ones those who've experienced the grace of God, not just this general type of love that all men experience. No, it is the love that's only found that the beloved have experienced in Christ Jesus. Everybody with me? Okay, is that, are y'all awake this morning? Like, can there be like an amen or something at some point? Maybe a hand, like, anyway. This excited me, but maybe, anyway. And so, two plus two here, right? So, God is love means that his essence, it is his nature he loves. Everybody with me? It's not something that he chose to add to. It is who he is. He is love, right? So if we've been born from somebody whose nature is love, then there will be a nature of love that is now within us. Everybody with me? That's what he's writing here. It's like my kids, they all, they, you know, if Emma didn't have red hair, I'd be like, I'm thinking, is she mine? But she looks just like me. And red, I think he's going to have red hair too. And so at first, it comes from Ashley's side. Of it. But anyway, the, the point is with our kids, if we've, been, if we've been blessed to have children, what we see is there are things that I pass on to my kids and Ashley passes on to our kids that is like, man, that just, that's just like Ashley. That's just like Justin. And it's the same picture when we're born of God. We will take a part of that nature to whom who's caused us to be born again. And that is, he is love. So therefore, if you've been born of him, you will love his people. Why? Because he loves his people. By nature, he's the essence of God. Love is the essence of God. God is love. He's the source and origin of love. He defines what love is, not the other way around. He defines, and this is, this is I'm going to stop for a moment because it says God is love. Man, how many times have we heard that in our culture today? And you know, God is love. Accept everything. God is love. And we define God just by this. Obviously, he is love, right? You know what else scripture says just in the New Testament? Like, like look up in the New Testament verses that say God is. Not like we, we deduce from reading that this is who God is, but specifically scriptures say God is this. And you, you'll find a few. It says even in this, in 1 John, we see that God is light. In Hebrews, we see that God is a 
consuming fire. God is fire. So we have God is love. God is light. God is spirit. We see that in, in the gospels that God is spirit. Uh, we see in Hebrews, like I said, God is fire. And so this is like a teaching moment of how we kind of navigate the culture that says, you know, God is love. God is love. Say, so, no, also God is light as well. And, and, and he's fire. So what that means is here's a beautiful picture of who God is. He is, that is his essence. It's not something he's added to. This is who he is. He is light, which means he exposes whatever sin there is. There is no darkness that his light can't open up and, and show. And not only that God is fire, means he can consume it all. But he's love and he doesn't destroy the sinner. That's who he is. Like, that, like that's a bigger picture of the essence of who God is. And this passage, obviously, he's God is love. But in our culture, whenever we say, no, man, he's love, he's love. Well, he's also light. And he'll expose whatever sin is in anybody's life. And he's fire and he won't consume it. But thanks be to God, by the gospel and the grace of Christ, he saves the sinner because he's love. Anyway, that's just a side note. Point number one is that we love first because of the nature of God to whom we belong and partake in. Why? What's the reason for us love? Because God is love, and we have partaken in who he is. We've been born of him, and that nature that he's passed on is a capacity to love like he has loved us. Secondly, not only do we love because it's the essence of God, but the manner in which God's love was manifested. Look at verses 9 through 11. <clears throat> in this, the love of God was made manifest. So God, in his nature, he's love, but thankfully, he acted upon. He, 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 that love that's in his nature was manifested. It wasn't just an idea. It wasn't just something of who he was, this distant, far-off God, but it was manifested. It was made clear. It was, made, it was seen. Right, everybody with me? There was something that we could see. How was it manifested? How do we see the love of God? It was manifested among us that God, the God by nature who is love, the God by nature who is light, the God by nature who is fire, who's holy, perfect, set aside, set apart, who is not, who's not of us, above us, he sent. How do we see the love of God? Well, God sent. Who did he send? He didn't send an errand boy, but he sent his only son, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, the, the word that was with him from the beginning. He was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world, the world that, that had denied him, that rejected him, that God, whose essence is love, acted upon in that nature, and he sent his own son into the world that we might live through him. And check out verse 10. In this love, what, and this is love. What is, what is love? All right, what is love? Well, he's going to tell us what it is. Not that we have loved God. This love, this his essence, his nature is love. And him displaying or him manifesting his love, he manifested it to people that not, didn't love him, that didn't desire him, this love was un, uncaused. It, 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 was, it was free. There was nothing we did. It was unconditional. Didn't desire him. Yet, the God who is love manifested his love to send him to people who did not love him. Keep reading. But that he loved us. 
time out for a moment. Why, did God, why does God love you? That's something I can't answer other than he is love. Like there's a lot of things that we can dig into scripture and go, yeah, that's the reason, that's why that makes sense, that's why I love. This idea of God loving us, it makes no sense. But he is love. Why did he love you? Why does he love us? Because he chose to. Keep reading. He loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. The word you can maybe use as atonement. I think propitiation is a better word there, and it's the covering of sin. It's literally, it's the picture that he sent his son to die in our place and take on the wrath of God so that you and I can be the gapiteo, the beloved, that God the Father sent his son to bear the full wrath that he had for a world that did not love him so that we could know his love. So verse 11 says, Beloved, (laughs) if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That's his reason for number two is why should we love? Because this is how God loved us. And I thought about this this morning in my own life, and this is a practice I want us to do, not out loud, but look at verse 11 and read it for yourself. Is it, yeah, I, I, I don't want you to read it out loud, but just think about it for a moment. Now in reading that, now bring all of your reasons to not love somebody or not forgive somebody. and try to make a reason now why you can actually do that. If he so loved us, we ought to love one another. There's nothing that somebody's done to me that I can look at that verse and go, I can still not love them. There's nothing that somebody's done to me that I can look at that verse 11. Listen to me, I know some things that there are probably some, some bad things done to you. I'm not minimizing that at all. Don't hear me say, like, whatever happened to you didn't happen, forget about it. What I'm saying to you through by the grace of God, if God in heaven can forgive us, then, then I can't look at that verse anymore and go, I'm not even going to try to forgive. I'm not even going to try. I'm going to hold on to that. I'm going to keep drinking that poison, thinking it's going to, did you know that the, the unforgiveness or hatred towards somebody is literally like us drinking poison, thinking it's going to affect somebody else? That's what it is. And so this, this verse allows us to at least starting off going, this is going to be tough, but I know in how I've been loved, so I'm called to love those people as well. There's a starting place where we have to decide, God, I'm going to hand this over to you. Thirdly, third reason we should love is because God's love is put on display when we love. Verse 12 says, no one has ever seen God, right? We understand that. Uh, We see in John chapter one, how the invisible God that Christ came, took on flesh, and he, those who have seen him have seen God. So the first time that we see the invisible God is in the person of Jesus, right? Everybody with me? But now Jesus is where? He's at the right hand of the Father. He's in heaven. He's not physically here, bodily here, but who is here? His 
his body, the church. And so that's the context here. Verse 12, it says, no, no one has ever seen God. But check this out. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So what is John telling us? He's telling us this, that if God, sorry, he's telling us this, that if we love one another, that God will abide. He will will remain with us. And his love that was displayed on the cross will still be displayed as his people love one another. One preacher said it was the church is the audiovisual of God to a lost and dying world. That the church, through the church, and how the church loves one another, interacts with one another, that we are the audio visual of the love of God that He has for a dying world. The unseen God reveals Himself through the visible love of the church. And not just to the outsider, but listen to me, but how the church loves one another. That's what Jesus said in John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. You are to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples. So what we see in these couple of verses is that this love originated in God. It was manifested by his son, and it's displayed by his people. Real quickly, and I'm gonna just kind of move through the, the rest of, because I got some other points to, to bring home, but other reasons why we love, we see in verses 13 through 16, that is the fruit of the Spirit. What we see in verse 13, it says, who comes to abide? Who, who has God given us? His Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit is abiding in us. If you go to Galatians, what is the first fruit mentioned in the fruit of the Spirit? Love. That a product of being a child of God and having the Holy Spirit res- residing within us, that we will be people who love one another. The next thing that we see, another reason, is that God's love casts out fear. We see that in verses 13 through, uh, sorry, 17 and 18. Obviously, speaking here of, of the judgment when Christ returns, that we have, no, we have confidence in his return. We don't shrink back. We looked at that last week as well. And so picture there is that because of the love that God has for us and because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the confession we have in Christ, Christ's return means that we have nothing to fear. Are you with me? We are hoping and trusting in his return. We're, we're anticipating his return. And the love that, that we've experienced has cast out any fear that we could have in that thought process. So check, this is what I'm talking about. If, if we don't have to fear that, listen to me, there's nothing else for us to fear. <laughs> he has freed us to love unconditionally. He's freed us to love sacrificially. He's freed us because perfect love is cast out fear. I don't have to abide in fear anymore. Therefore, I can love people regardless of how they're going to accept me. Why? Because I have nothing to fear. And lastly, I hope you like this one. What's the sixth reason why we see in these verses why we should love one another? It's because he told us to. That's what it says. Verse 21, and this is a commandment we have from who? Have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Could have, could have just done that one. Why do we love? Because he told us to. Uh, but anyway, so how does that, how does First John land on the street here called Cross Point? What's that look like for us? Because here's the idea, the command to love one another 
it isn't like an abstract idea or just a great principle. It's meant to be obeyed and lived out. Are you with me? This idea of loving one another, because context, contextually, who's he talking about loving? The church loving the church. Believers loving other believers. Are you with me? So the idea of us loving one another can't be something that we disobey because there's a commandment to do so. It's not just something that we agree to in principle or in theory. It's something that God meant for us to actually do, to love one another. Everybody with me? Not just accept one another, not just tolerate one another, not just sit in the same room with one another, but to actually love one another, to self-sacrificially love one another. Love as we've been loved. So how does that flesh itself out? How can we love one another? In Romans 12, 5, it says that we are individual members one of another. And when we, come to, when we become a follower of Jesus, we become a part of the one another's. And then in the New Testament, we have these series of one another's. Love one another, forgive one another, pray for one another. You know what I'm talking about? Actually, there's a sheet outside that I put over by the reading plans that I gave out last week that it's actually a list of all the, not all, it's not exhaustive, but the majority of the one another's in Scripture. So if, you, if you're interested in that, it's out there in the foyer. You can grab it and kind of read through it and say, hey, how can I be obedient to these things? But over 100 times in the New Testament do we see the one another's, to, the command to serve one another, love one another. 59 times directly to the followers of Jesus, a third of the one another's deal with unity. A third of them deal with loving one another. 15% of them deal with humility. And there's some that are kind of stand alone by themselves, but they're, the whole, there's a majority, I say a good chunk of our New Testament is written to how the church interacts with one another. So I think they're important. And they can be defined as the one another's, the commands of one another's. But before I go what they are, what you see there, we also, there's a, there's a list that, that are not in Scripture that the church has adopted. We do not have the command that we sanctify one another or humble one another or scrutinize one another, or pressure one another, or embarrass one another, or corner one another, or interrupt one another, defeat one another, or sacrifice one another, or shame one another, marginalize, exclude, or judge one another. Nor do we have the command that we confess another's sins to one another. But there's a whole chunk of godly commands of how we as a church interact with one another. So, I'm not going to read all of those, but love to be devoted, honor, live in harmony, all these one another's that we see in Scripture. How does that flesh out? Why commit to God's people? What's the benefits? Number one is that it gives us a context to obey the one another's. Why do I commit to God's people? Because inside that, it gives me a place to fulfill and obey the one another's that God has commanded me to do. If I'm not connected to a local group of people called a church, then I, I have nobody to, to obey the one another's for or with. You follow me? It gives us a context to be obedient to God. Why do I commit myself to God's people? Because it's those people that I'm going to love. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to carry their burdens. I'm going to do all these one another's that God's given me. So why do we connect? Why do we commit to God's people? Because it gives us a context to obey the one another's. Secondly, and thank God for this one, it, gives us, it provides care in our trials and our sufferings. What's the benefit to committing to God's people and loving God's people? It's because life sometimes is tough. And God's people can love me, listen to me, and when they're loving me, what does Scripture say? The love of God is made manifest. I say this often, what are, 
we talk about how God is our refuge, right? Psalms, God is our refuge, and we seek it. Well, how do we seek shelter in an invisible refuge? Through his word and through his people. Well, how do we experience the love of God when I'm walking through trials? Is through his word and through his people. And I'm sure many of you give testimony how the people of God has surrounded you and uplifted you and encouraged you in your times of struggles and trials and mess-ups and other times that when we commit ourselves to God's people, what we do is we have people that commit to us and say, you're not going to walk through this life by yourself. Thirdly, what's the benefits of committing to God's people is that it gives us clarity in our gifting. Did you know as a child of God that you are individually gifted to serve God's body. God has wired you in a certain way to serve the body of Christ. And I believe that when we're committed to God's people, we find clarity in just how God has gifted us to serve the body. That we will not find if we're just sitting in a room by ourselves. But whenever you begin to walk with people in life and do life and commit to one another, you'll say, oh man, God's wired me this way, that I can be this for this person, or I can speak this way, or I can do this. What happens when we commit ourselves to one another, we, we refine each other, we sharpen each other, and it clarifies how God has gifted us to serve his body. So what is our commitment to God's people? At Cross, Cross Point, what is our commitment to God's people? First of all, we join them. We attach ourselves to this people. This past year, we had a new old membership overhaul where we signed covenants where we're committing ourselves to one another. And man, it went awesome this year. And before long, we'll have a, another starting point where that is the entryway into joining Crosspoint. And I pray for some of you who maybe visited us for a while, that you're saying, I'm going to join, as in I'm going to connect, I'm going to commit my life to God's people at the location called Crosspoint Church. We join them. We decide, hey, I'm going to, they're not going to just be a, a, a piece, a small part, like my life is wound up in Crosspoint Church. Those are the people that I'm going to do life with. Those are the people that I'm going to hang out with. Those are the people that I'm going to raise my kids with. Those are the people that I'm going to, that's what it means for us to join our lives to these, this people. Then third, second is that we, we love them. How do we commit to God's people? We join them, we love them. Love is, love is hard, but we love them. Regardless of anything that goes on, we're going to love, and thirdly, we're going to serve them. So what does it mean to, for us to commit to God's people? We're going to join God's people, we're going to love God's people, and we're going to serve God's people. We're going to serve one another and how God has gifted us. Michael's going to come up, and I'm going to wrap up, and Y'all may get out early. I say that every time, and then they start playing the keys, and I get excited, and I'll be here for another 30 minutes. But All right, cool. That Justin, that, that's still all cool. Well, what's something I can do right now? Like what's a, I know for some of us, we like to respond right now. Like we need to make something happen right now. So what can we do? Number one, begin to pray for the members of Crosspoint. People that you know make it a daily habit that you pray for the membership here at Crosspoint. If you don't know their name, go ask them their name. You do that anywhere else in this world, we can do it at church too. Are you with me? Sometimes we get to church and it's like, I don't know them. Well, if you were at the mall or if you were at work, you'd walk over there and ask them their name. But here, you have to have somebody. Anyway, go ask them their name. Make a list. 
Begin to pray for each other. Secondly, here's revolutionary. Sit by somebody else next week. You mean I can't? No, yeah, go sit by somebody else that you normally don't sit by. That's a great way to get to know somebody or at least know their name. Thirdly, invite somebody to lunch periodically. How can we get to know? How can we commit ourselves? Well, you're going to go eat lunch Sunday after church at your house or somewhere else. Invite somebody to lunch that you never had lunch with. Get to know them. Ask them where they come from or how they, when Ashley moved here from Texas, uh, she had to learn like Mississippi lingo. And the questions were, who do you belong to? As in, who's your family? Not like husband-wise, but like, who, who do you belong? And so anyway, get to know people. It's crazy. We go, we've committed in this spiritual life together as a church. Let's get to know each other. What's the best way to do that? Sitting around a table, eating food and asking each other about each other's lives. Fourthly, be intentional at church-wide fellowships. For the past two years, we've had at least four church-wide fellowships a year. Why do we have those? For the church to be able to get to know people they usually don't talk to. Not just to say we had an event, not just to spend a lot of money, because we do, but so that it gives us opportunities to talk to somebody who we normally don't talk to. And who knows, there may be even a friendship that happens. Maybe. That's the goal. Fifthly, and I want you to know I sanctified my original fifth point. That's why it has the asterisk on it. I wrote down, secondly, in my sanctified versions, be here to maintain unity. My unsanctified version was squash any beef with anyone. How do I commit to God's people is that I don't let beef or drama stay between me and my brother who we've committed our lives together one another here at Crosspoint. That seems so simple. That's what usually thing is in life is a step-by-step, simple decision to simple decision to love one another, to forgive one another, to get to know one another crazy what happened if we just start a conversation I, th- I look in a room and I know it's a little bit different because I'm, I'm the pastor and I'm not cool but like the people that I've gotten to know who I didn't know at first just at a face value but it's like man I really like that person I'm glad we do life together I'm glad we go to church together I say that about everybody So will you practically today begin to pray for each other? Will you say, hey, next week I'm going to sit by somebody different. I'm going to talk to them. Which may mean we have to get here before 9.59. Uh, (laughs) Because we're starting at 10. I told you all that last year. From now on at 10 o'clock, it don't matter if five people were here or the place is packed, we're starting at 10 a.m. So maybe get here or stay a little bit later. Or, hey, Let's go to lunch. Be intentional in opportunities we have. And I think for some of us, it's maybe there's something between me and a brother and a sister that, that we've committed ourselves together here at Crosspoint that we just need to talk through. Not just that, but talk through it. And let the love of God direct the way that you treat one another and talk to one another. So why should we love? Because it's who God is. It's how God's loved. 
and love displays God's love to a world. Upon reading the Gospels, and this is no cop-out for actually sharing the Gospel, but I believe one of our greatest testimonies, or our greatest Gospel presentations, is our relationship with God's people. Jesus says, people know you're my disciples. He also says that the world will know that my Father has sent me by the way you love one another. I can't explain that one either, but that's what he says, so that's what we do. Amen? Like, anyway, I'm gonna pray. I don't really know how to respond. If you need to talk, I'll be down here. Uh, If you're a lady and you feel more comfortable talking to a lady, we can connect you with somebody, but maybe just for you is fresh commitment. Last week with God's truth. And this year, I'm going to commit to God's people. I'm going to commit to being here with God's people, being present with God's people, and investing in God's people. Cool? Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for your word and its sufficiency. God, thank you for the love, your love, that was manifested in Christ Jesus, who came to be the propitiation of our sins, the atonement for our sins, who came not to people who loved him, but... He chose to love out of his nature, to bear our sin, to wear our shame, and to swallow the wrath that should have been poured on us. God, help us love like we've been loved. Help us fulfill the one another that you've called us to do by by doing it through the lens of how you've loved us and how you've forgiven us and how you've been patient with us and long-suffering with us. Yeah, I thank you for this church, Cross Point Church, and how it does exemplify a group of people that love one another. God, we don't want to just settle there. God, we want to learn to, to love each other even more but to love not just in an accepting way, but to love in a way that we push one another to know Jesus more, to love Jesus more, to walk with Jesus more faithfully so that we can display your love to a lost and dying world. God, be with us. May the way we respond be obedient and glorifying to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can stand and sing along. Thank you.